0: The five-time ICC umpire of the year. One of my favorite individuals, <laughs> Simon Crawford, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give it up! So, Simon, thank you so much for coming on Bosses on Internet. It's an absolute pleasure to have you join me on right this episode. Right to be with you. Right to be with
1: you. Thank
0: you. Now, I remember in one of your episodes uh, in Vislin, uh, in an interview, you mentioned there are three teams that are on the field. Mm. And one team doesn't care who wins or who loses. And that is your team. Tell me more about that. Yeah,
1: well, it's one of those concepts that people very rarely connect with—that you need three games to have a game of cricket, or play any sport for that matter—and our team really just deserves equal consideration, in my view, about how we are supported, how we're resourced, and how we perform. So, I really try to be an advocate for the best resources, the best facilities, the best sort of you know um, support for our team, and that involves coaching, it involves training, it involves. Clothing um, and hopefully also payment. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's super critical. Yeah.
0: One of the most important and crucial roles in the umpiring team is that of the third umpire. Uh, is it easy just sitting back and watching television?
1: Well, again, it's this perception that the third umpire has got nothing to do, that all they do is actually, as you say, just watch TV. But the third umpire's job is now the hardest job in the team because they actually have to meet the expectation of getting nothing wrong, that whenever something goes upstairs to them, there is no mistakes. But they also count the balls. They count the overs per bowler. They record all of the delays and stoppages. They manage the match with the director and the match referee and the on-field umpires. They control start and stop times. They also make decisions of run-outs, um, stumpings, structuring the field. That's
0: a lot happening. They People also manage, never this. They manage
1: code of conduct. They look at player behavior. They watch the TV about eighty percent of the time. They look for things that the on-field umpires need to know and they are basically a safety net all the time. So their job is full-on. And normally they are first to arrive in their position and they're normally last to leave their position. They fill out overrate stats for the match referee and the on-field umpires. They fill out lots of documents. It's a full-on job. Um, So it's the hardest job in the team in my view.
0: But so many things happen on the field. It's a very high-pressure job uh, and there are two positions. Which one is easier of the lot?
1: What the fuck? They've both got their roles, but obviously the on-field umpire at the bowlers end carries most of the responsibility for decision-making. Um, and really they are the primary umpire. But at Square League too, we're always working, we're always trying to support our mate. We are focused on team success, so we have a lot of soft signals that people may not be aware of, which we do discuss pre-game. So we, we help each other with runs off the bat from Square League. You know, it's missed everything. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, Yeah, okay. one for the over, one <laughs> bouncer for the over. They call it signal wide from Square League or no balls for above waist high. They tap their leg for when there's a leg by. There's lots of soft signals that were always in the game. Square leg is also monitoring fielding restrictions. That's their responsibility. They're also looking for bowling actions. They're looking for other things that are happening in the field. They're scouting around and making sure that things are fine. And there are another set of eyes, for the bowlers and umpire, to ensure that normally we come up with the right decisions. So, you know, the players have their own rituals of who will back first.
0: How do you choose who goes to square lagging behind
1: the stumps? Well, these days uh, we sort of develop this trend around trying to let fake determine which end we go to. When I did my first test match with Venkat uh, in the Boxing Day Test Match in the year 2000, I remember walking out on the field with Venkz and I said, Thanks, which end would you like? And he basically said, I don't care which end you go to, but I'm going to that end. <laughs> so, so he told me which end he was going to. But these days, we actually, uh, as part of our pre-match ritual, we go out to the middle, we have a look at the stumps, we have a look at the strip, and we toss the bale. And normally, the tallest umpire out of the two will go to the end where the bale falls, pointing with the longest part of the spear okay. facing, facing that way. Okay. And that's normally the way that we go. Wow. So I want to
0: jump back to 29th of July 2007. The decision meaning I'm talking about relates to Sachin Tendulkar, and maybe you were the most hated person back then in India. Tell me, tell me, what were you grappling with? What was the psyche? What are the challenges that you were going through? Why that decision?
1: Are you referring to when I go such an out on 91 lbw to Paul that Collingwood? That is absolutely right. Well, funny yeah. that, funny that. I use that quite a lot in my training sessions with corporates and business people about showing them that I do make mistakes and bad things do happen. Look, it wasn't a particularly pleasurable experience because I, I never like getting any batsman wrong. I like to get all my decisions right and I like to make sure that I deliver my best performance. Unfortunately on that day, in that particular example, technology didn't agree with me. Uh, Hawkeye had the ball missing the stumps. Not by much. Not by much. Let's give you that. But, you know, it did show that the ball was missing and if you agree with technology, then I got the decision wrong. Uh, and the following morning, uh, I wasn't expecting the the commentary to be you know, overly <laughs> overly helpful or supportive and so I stayed away from reading crick info, I stayed away from reading online stories or even picking up the newspaper. I, I knew that I'd made a mistake and I knew that that was unfortunate and not what I wanted to do. But I, like everything, um, I, I feel terrible when I make a mistake, it's not what I want to do. And uh, you know, the following day I, I managed to pass Sachin as he's walking out to the field to, to do his normal pre-day routine just like mine. And I passed him at the gate and I said, um, you know, I think I got that one wrong yesterday and obviously it's not what I wanted to do and I'll make sure that I don't do that again. And he looked and said, just don't worry about it mate, I understand you're trying and um, we'll move on and that's all okay. I know that you get more right than wrong, just don't do it again. <laughs> okay. And that's what I was really, I suppose, very grateful about was that I could bring Satch up and say, Satch, I've written a book, I'd love you to have a read of it. If you agree, would you be kind enough to write the foreword? And he said, sure, no problem. When would you like it? And I said, well, how about a couple of weeks? And he said, yeah, I should be able to do that. Sweet. And that's tremendously wonderful. And to do the same with a Steve War or a Ravi Ashwin, you know. And uh, I feel very blessed and very privileged to be able to mix in such a tremendous company. And I think you've always been one
0: of the more friendly players on the field. Um, while you are not known for eccentricities, like having a bent finger and showing signals, or maybe dancing and jumping around on the field. But it's, I think you've, you've raised the stature of the game by being far more accurate compared to a lot many others who've come on the field. What do you think about that? What do you feel about that?
1: Well, I feel very, very lucky that I did my apprenticeship with the New South Wales Cricket Umpires Association because they taught me very early on and I was surrounded by some wonderful mentors some wonderful fellow umpires and colleagues who really taught me the value of humility. They taught me the value of what's our role in the game, to be unobtrusive. I remember uh, Ted White, Alan Marshall, people that you wouldn't know that have got tremendous experience in this area, Dick French, Arthur Watson, uh, Ian Thomas, Darrell Hare, uh, the list goes on. And these people would always pull me up on various technique or match management issues about what's my role in the game. A former test umpire, Tom Brooks, taught me the value of using people's names when the, when the striker came to the wicket mm-hmm. and say, Hardy, that's centre. And he'd think, wow, he knows my he name. Well, I didn't know them all. So what I would do is that when the batsman was coming to the wicket, I'd say to the little striker, what's this guy's name? Is it? And trying to make a personal connection, but also respect that it's a player's game. So I was taught, don't speak to the players unless they speak to you. Tell me, who are the most colourful players
0: in the field who are slightly difficult or tricky
1: to manage? Yeah, so when you've got a guy standing next to you at Square League who's just a chatterbox. Who just... We get throw some names there. Eh? So, Verenda Sayweg's a classic example. Verenda Sayweg loves umpiring from Square League, but he likes being the bowlers in umpire from Square League. So, he would normally be very verbose, very animated, and I might have made a decision or two from the previous over. I go out to Square League, and Vero is traditionally one that he doesn't necessarily always agree so we'd stand next to you they squarely going, come on Simon, Jager, Jager, come on Simon, let's go. Let's get him again, another wicket. Let's go, Jager, Jager. Viru, Viru, are we gonna do this all day? I'm getting a bit of a headache. I can imagine. You know? and, and so he does that. Lots of uh, people also being umpire from the slip score. Mark Waugh was fantastic at umpiring at, at second slip and you always have a view and opinion. Is it? But, you know, you just sort of go with the flow with those sorts of players, and you treat them with respect, and you try to, you know, work with them. Uh, But tell me this, I think the match that comes to my
0: mind when I represent my country, India, is always the India-Pakistan match, and I think the 2011 World Cup semi-final that you had the privilege of officiating. uh, How do you maintain a sense of calm in that complete chaos? And tell me, was the preparation different during that time?
1: Oh yeah it is, Um, because again, referring back to the book, it's about pressure can create a diamond or pressure can burst a pipe. So what can I do uh, to deal with the external pressure and what can I do to deal with the internal pressure? So I I would not do any interviews, I would not talk to people who weren't actually consistent with my preparation leading into that game. I would manage those distractions by saying no. On those, in that particular match, I said no to turning on the TV. I said no to picking up newspapers left outside my hotel room door. I said no to um, talking to people in the lobby. I said no to a lot of things. To just keep my focus on my game and how I could help my team have a good match on the day. And then making sure that I just kept it really simple. And I said no to actually negative thoughts. I said no to turning that into a positive. And, What is my role? What am I going to do here? You know, I I can umpire well here. All I've got to do is watch the ball. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. What were some of the most
0: interesting appeals that have come to you, the most memorable appeals, or let's put it this way, the (laughs) funniest and most irritating appeals that have come across every way?
1: Well, Anur Kumlay was a fascinating one for me because he would come right arm around the wicket, pretty much as a leg-spin bowler, if you like, to a a right-hand batsman. And he'd peel a lot for LBWs. (laughs) And the ball's pitching this far outside leg stump. And I'd be thinking, well, that's not out, that's not out, they're pretty easy decisions. But all of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking, well, actually, they're racking up my statistics, they're actually improving my correct decision percentage, and that's, that's probably not a bad thing. So that was interesting. Um, Truthance Dance is also a very um, colourful character, okay. and, uh, you know, he would often appeal several times, and so I'd be able to offer him several responses on the one particular delivery, and then I'd say, one appeal, one decision, thanks very much. Shane Warne was, was a great appealer, uh, very very much in your face and theatrical. Murali was the same, you know, he'd, he'd appeal and he'd almost run down the pitch expecting wow. the decision to happen and get right in your eye line <laughs> and you'd be saying, not out, Murali, get out of the way, that type of thing. Spin bowlers tend to be very animated, okay. uh, yeah, but for me I tended to, not to watch the appeal too much, you're very much focused on making the decision. I remember doing a game, India-Pakistan, Chinaswami Stadium, test match. Towards the back, back end of the game. And I've given a not-out decision. Uh, Indian player batting, I don't know who it was, I can't even remember who was bowling. It might have been, might have been a spinner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said not out, and then all of a sudden I've turned around and, and Inzi's on my left shoulder. <laughs> and I thought, where have you come from? And he's come, we looked at the replay afterwards, he's come from all the way from mid-off to be standing right next to me. I've almost got a shock and thought what are you doing (laughs) there so I'm sort of focused here and I have no spatial awareness about anything else other than trying that's what you're doing so you know that there's an appeal but that's what you have got your eye line on so we ended up charging him with charging towards the empire but that's the intensity of focus focusing on the right things at the right time and being sort of oblivious to things that are happening around you and that's where really you need to make at Square Lake to have that spatial awareness to actually help you out with other pieces of information.
0: And on the field, I think there are like s- crazy deafening noises. How do you, in
1: that chaos, listen to the thin edge? It's, there are a couple of things there to think about. Number one is that, is that preparation and being alert but not alarmed and self-recognizing that today, in this game, I'm not going to be able to use these and mentally telling yourself that, don't worry about not hearing it, that's okay, that's to be expected. So don't give a call behind not out simply because you didn't hear it, because that's off the table. What you have gotta do is learn to trust your eyes and tell yourself, I just need to focus and really have a hard focus on ball going past the bat and trust my eyes. Then there is this thing that you can't teach. It's called the gut, it's called the instinct. It's using all of your experience with that, what else is going on around yeah. you? And I did that in a game in, in Karachi, India, Pakistan. Inzaman was on 120, I think, at the time. Keeper was standing up. I think Habajan might have been the bowler. Uh, caught behind. And they've all gone up. And I have not heard it. But everything just told me, Every, just, my experience said that's out. But I didn't hear the outside edge. And because the keeper was up, there wasn't a deflection to really see and I'm just trusting my gut. And I put my finger up and I think, gee, I hope that's the right decision. But then the replay comes later on after the game, and you actually see the deflection off the bat into the gloves. Now, you can't train that, you can't coach that, but that's the sort of experience and gut feeling that we're talking about.
0: I believe you're a test match person. You've always appreciated the format of the game a lot.
1: Yeah, I'm a very, my inherent nature is the traditional conservative form of cricket and conservatism just in life in general. Are there a
0: company with 20 match?
1: Probably an accountant? No, no not at all because it does take you outside of your comfort zone. It's different. It's, it's the bleeding edge of technology and it pushes you outside of your comfort zone. But if we are going to protect the culture and heritage of test cricket and we are going to promote it in a way where people want to play it, want to watch it, want to officiate it, We've got to look at ways to take the best of what we've got and advance it and promote it and make sure it's there for future generations to play or watch. And I think it's really important to have role models of individuals on our TV screens. And it's really important to have formats of the game on our TV screens where people can say, that's fantastic, I can really connect with that, I'd love to be able to participate.
0: Since you mentioned role
1: models, Virat Kohli is has been
0: absolutely brilliant in my perspective. What has been your thoughts uh, seeing him evolve over a period of time as a player, as a human being?
1: Well, early on, I I could see he had tremendous talent. And that's one of the pathway objectives with cricket is that we pick the right people and we can see that they've got talent and potential. And again, how do we exercise and maximize that potential? So I could see very early on when I saw Virat for the first time in Hobart, I think it might have been, where he scored 120 hundred and plenty against Sri Lanka. He was a talent, no question. But being a good batsman doesn't make you a good captain. Mm -hmm. I worked in the printing industry for about 13 years before I became a full-time cricket umpire. I know firsthand that being the best printer on a printing press doesn't make you the best foreman. That's not, it helps. But there are a lot of people skills and a lot of soft skills pick up along the way that pick you've up. got to get along the way. And so, having that technical ability is one thing. Having all those soft skills is the difference between whether you, okay, you're a good player, but then do you become a great leader, and do you become a great advocate and role model for other people to follow? Because one of the things about captaincy, one of the things that Clyde Lloyd talking about umpiring and Ranjan Madagali really helped me in this space sitting next to these great people as match referees is that a captain a good captain has to be an hour in front of the game one of the great qualities that an umpire can have is to be able to read the game and see where it's going Mm. and see where the tactics and strategy is leading and so when i was fortunate to sit down with Virat coley earlier this year after he won uh, the series in australia after 71 years was i got a sense of how connected he was with his own strengths and weaknesses as as an individual, as a leader. And he he put forth some really great messages that I think is important to share with everyone. And I've touched on a couple of those in my book about how do you build trust with your people as a leader? Mm -hmm. And one of those things that Virat talked about on the day was, you don't expect your people to do things that you don't do yourself. MSD has always been the calm, the more composed individual on the field, I believe. Well, certainly, he's a, he's a great leader in that respect, but he's also a great tactician. He's one of the best cricket brains that I've, I've come across in the, in the sport that I've been around for. And so he serves the cause of his team. He will back his players. I've got video examples of him, and I've, I've been very close to him on the field, where even if you look at his batting style, he's a tremendous finisher. He has enormous self-belief in himself to be able to get a team home, but he's also got tremendous support and belief in his colleague at the other end to say, just stick with me. All you gotta do is stick with me and everything will be okay. Do we see him panic? Very rarely. Very rarely. Very rarely. So he is the coolest, the calmest person in the room, which is exactly what an umpire has to do. I remember 3rd March,
0: 2009 was a tough day. What were you going through in that heat of the moment? What was going, uh, what, were you, what were you thinking of first when that unfortunate incident happened?
1: So it's, it's I, I put it in the book as the first chapter, which was the hardest call I've had to make. It wasn't an LBW, it wasn't caught behind. It was a phone call home to my wife. And I put it in the first chapter of my book because it's a human interest story. It's a, a life story. It's something that I learned a lot on the day from about how we see things differently and about What life's all about, and context here is it's just a game of cricket. What I learned on that day, or what I went through, was a huge range of emotions everything from fear to elation to sadness to joy to sympathy to relief. We saw the worst that life had to throw at us, and we saw the best that life had to throw at us. We saw tremendous. Sadness and death, and we saw uh, people help each other and, and be there for each other and you know um, save each other. You know, Chris Broad was outstanding in the way that he looked after our son Raza and tried to stop the bleeding and tried to make sure that he didn't die in our car. We had um, you know moments of human emotion that were raw, and you know, in that bus, I down, crouched down, I thought about writing notes to home and do I, do I say goodbye to my loved ones? And I remember quite clearly thinking that I didn't think I was going to die that day, but I thought I might get shot. I was expecting to get hit. Um, and by the grace of God, that didn't happen. But in our vehicle, that was not the case with other people. So at what point does luck play this huge thing? I mean, had I sat in my normal chair, which I am a push. superstitious person, and I would normally sit in that same seat because the game was going okay and I don't want to sit in a different seat, you know, I want to sit in the same seat and keep the vibe of the show rolling along, and this day I chose a different seat for a different reason, and the person that sat in my chair, Asan Raza, was, was shot, and why? why? Why am I sitting here and someone else is not? And so I connected with my mortality. I connected with what was life supposed to deliver and how can I make the most of the opportunity. And it reinforced my belief that I, I really dislike waste. Wasted food, wasted talent, wasted opportunity. We don't have a lot of time on this planet. So we need to make the most of what's in front of us. And we need to be kinder to people. We need to realize it's just a game of cricket. And so when people have a go at me for getting something wrong, Okay, I got it wrong. Big deal. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone makes We're human. We're human. But it's what we do next that counts. And out of that incident, it's what we did next that counted. You know, going down to the Sri Lankan dressing room and making sure that those guys were okay. Showing the human side of who we are. And I think in this age of, you know, mental health, particularly if we look at the Glenn Maxwell incident, and I go back to Marcus Dreskothic or Jonathan Schreitle, or even in my side of the game with Mark Benson. Mental health is really important, and our wellbeing is really important, and we have lots of programs around now, around are you okay? And I encourage people, number one, to hug the people that they love, which is what I learned on that day. You must hug the people that you love. You must tell them how much they mean to you, because you never know when you won't see them again. It makes sense Correct, and regularly check in with the people who mean something to you and just ask them the question. Is everything okay so finding the gaps mm. this is the book so where
0: can our viewers get a hold of this book
1: well it's available in all bookstores good bookstores that is but you can get it online at amazon footcart and those sorts of places
0: and for all the people out there for all the lessons that simon has been trying to share with us that much and many many more lessons are in this book and i hope you do take a read do share your thoughts and comments in the section below. Simon wish you all the best. And I hope the message in this book reaches people far and wide. And the freshly minted author in you writes more books. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what. Thank you That's it. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you soon.